All right, so my name is Melissa Barr. I'm a technical program manager for the machine learning and artificial intelligence teams at Uber. And I am a big fan of green tea, not as much coffee. Hey, I'm, I'm Michael. I'm an engineering manager at Uber AI. And um, the way I like my coffee is probably chai latte with a side of waffle. So I consider waffle as coffee, so. Today, I've got the pleasure of co-hosting with Lena. What's going on, Lena? How are you doing? Hey, <laughs> happy to be here, uh, fully uh, hyped up with caffeine. Let's go. <laughs> so you take the coffee sessions mantra to heart, and I like that. And you are also based in Berlin, and I've got a very special announcement that I want to make, which is we are having our first ever MLOps community conference in Berlin this year. It's going to be in September I don't want to give away the dates too fast yet, but hopefully by the time you are watching this, we're going to link to the early bird registration in the description in case anyone wants to join us in Berlin. There's going to be all kinds of cool tracks and it's all about ML Ops. There's no conference I think that is doing it quite like we do it. And I am going to say there may or may not be costumes that you might have to wear when you go to the conference. There may or may not be a DJ that is there, and there may or may not be a jam room. So you know how we like to do it. And Lena, I expect to see you there because it's not too far of a hike for you. <laughs> I'll be there. Awesome. So let's get to the topic at hand. We had the incredible guests, Melissa and Michael, today on the show. And wow. What were some of your key takeaways? I really love how they run this education program at Uber for their platform service. And it really shows how you have to go that last mile as an ML platform service to really ensure adoption, that it's usable and how to make an internal tool loved and not just something that you have to put up with, which some of you might or might not have experienced in the past so they really show us how to not do that how to do it right yeah i mean when it comes to what they're doing and of course uber is a gigantic company and so just to give some people that are listening a little context on what it is exactly that they're doing they created a course that is now huge within Uber. And it's all about how to A, do machine learning just in general, and B, do machine learning at Uber. And they go into all of the facets and the nuances of that in the conversation. But what I loved was that you have the platform team. So basically the people that are creating or maintaining Michelangelo, that platform that we all have heard about and have read about probably, the platform team is able to have a direct line of communication with its users and also see, this was what was incredible for me is that they got to see where people were falling off in the learning journey of adoption of the Michelangelo platform. So that in itself is such great data to be able to go back to the platform and say, oh, maybe we made this onboarding step a little bit too hard, or maybe doing this, this feature that everybody's trying to use, it's not as intuitive as we thought it was. So I can just imagine that the amount of data that they're getting back is 
helping the platform team immensely. And so I can just think that this kind of an initiative for that team has got to be just pure gold. Yeah, exactly. And if you're someone who's into architecture and system design, you will learn in that interview as well how to design um, a product or a course with first engineering principles, observability, reproducibility. And they really took it to, to the point where they designed such a course really with engineering best practices, which is a really, yeah. really rare and out-of-the-box approach to designing a product. And that is, I think, really interesting for most of us, even if you're not planning to run an educational course, the takeaways apply to other products as well. Yeah, I love how you said bringing engineering principles to other parts of your life is a very useful skill. I'm sure your boyfriend loves that when you bring <laughs> retros to the house and the, uh, <laughs> the in home. My defense, <laughs> in my defense, I'm not the only one. I have some colleague who told me they also do that <laughs> with, with varying degrees of success, I have to say. Yeah, I can imagine that there may be a little bit of pushback if... <laughs> You bring that into the house. My wife would literally kill me, but I also don't know how to run a good retro. So it might be that. That might be where. Yeah, that the doesn't sound is. blameless if she tries to kill you. It's actually a really good principle. You should talk later and I, I, I will show you how to run these blameless postmortems at home. <laughs> exactly. So for now, let's get into the conversation. If you are not already subscribed to our MLOps newsletter, I highly recommend checking that out. We've got three of them. We've got a weekly, we've got a monthly, and we've got the best of Slack. And also, it would mean the world to us if you left us a review because we love reading all of your reviews, especially the ones that are funny and bad. And if you leave one, who knows? I may or may not read it out loud on the air in the next episode. So leave us a review and let's talk to Melissa and Michael. I think we have to start with the objective and maybe you can break down and Melissa, I'll ask you to break it down for us first. What exactly is this program that was created? I am so excited because I think a lot of the MLOps community looks at Uber as someone who is leading when it comes to data and machine learning specifically. And so when this article came out, it was surprising to me that there is not only a lot of thought, but a lot of process that goes into making sure that Uber stays that way. So can you break down what exactly is the whole process like and, and what is, is this initiative? Sure, absolutely. And it's great to hear that the community thinks that Uber is a leader in machine learning as well. That, that definitely is the goal. So essentially, this program is based on educating not only our engineers, but our data scientists, our software engineers, machine learning engineers, and really everyone at the company on how to do machine learning at Uber. We didn't really want to recreate the wheel because there are already a lot of external resources available for machine learning, but we really wanted to focus on what was different at Uber and how we could educate people to use our internal ML platform. So essentially the objective or the goal of this whole program was that we knew that Uber would win by scaling machine learning, and we know that we can scale machine learning by educating. Could you give for the uh, listeners just maybe one example of a typical course that someone would take so they can imagine, okay, I'm now an engineer at Uber, what do I take? 
Yeah, so we we cater to a lot of different engineers depending where they are in their skill level, um, in their experience level. So for new engineers coming into the company, we have a course that all engineers take that's now required as they're part of engineering onboarding. And that's just a beginner to machine learning at Uber. Even if an engineer is coming in with previous experience from another tech company, and even if they were machine learning engineer at that company, they still don't know how to use our platform. Um, and so it's very much a broad course that helps people both learn how to do machine learning at Uber, or if they already know the basics, how to uh, use our tools. In regards to what type of courses people can take, if you are a brand new beginner at the company, um, maybe you don't know anything about it and you want to get started, we have introduction courses. We have a couple different introduction ones to regression, classification. We start all the way at the beginning. And then if you're more intermediate, we start with courses such as feature engineering, uh, deep learning. And then if you're more advanced, we move on to more specific and more detailed courses on things such as embeddings. And just to add to that, I think um, the one of the actually motivations for setting up this whole program was kind of uh, kind of like building this like kind of innovation flywheel thing, right? Where we have some kind of like uh, a way for the, the people that's working on ML Infra to kind of engage with the, with the target audience that they want to do. So uh, so sometimes like we'll also like roll, allow like folks to like roll out specific like specialized courses. Like for example, like a couple of years ago, I think I remember one of the courses uh, we organized was, I think at the moment was uh, we're trying to see what like, you know, whether we can use some kind of Bayesian optimization technique to like say automatically help you tune your models using like hyperparameter search and stuff like that. But I think at that moment, at that moment, I think it was still relatively new. So I, I think we first like kick off actually a course to basically like you know gather the expertise around the company and share like okay these are some of the concepts. Uh, we apply to apply it to this and have used that course to kind of build out a small prototype for people to kind of try it out and then just like gather feedback that way. So there was actually a, a two-way dialogue each time as well. So ah, so does this mean? You're basically building these courses as a support tool to help internal engineers to use the tools as well as enforce maybe some best practices in using these tools. Because it sounds like, for example, classification and regression, that would be something that you, there's a lot of tutorials on the internet that you could potentially use. So maybe you can go a little bit into what gaps are you closing that other companies might also want to close with their engineers with respect to using these internal tools. So yes, I agree. There already exists a lot of courses on things like regression and classification. So going back to what I mentioned earlier, we don't want to spend the time recreating that. So a lot of, uh, for that content, we will basically um, outsource or link out to external resources that we have found to be reliable and valuable. Um, and then we just fill in the gaps of what it means at Uber. And, that, and, and in that sense, it's how to use it on our platform. Um, and more specifically, understanding what problems at Uber are machine learning problems or could have a machine learning solution. That was kind of the big gap we wanted to cross because a lot of people would see these problems and they would try to solve it with data, lots of different ways, whatever it was. And we were trying to kind of frame uh, or create the framework of the mindset where this could be a machine learning problem. And if it is, this is how you identify and this is how you could create a machine learning solution for it. Yeah, we're trying to read kind of leverage kind of any existing resources out there and then kind of make make it tailored towards the Uber ecosystem, right? So uh, I think uh, a lot of folks like that coming in, like even though they have a lot of like industry experiences from outside where they have like, ML experiences already or some some don't even have much ML experiences, I think it's about kind of like uh, setting up maybe a series of different kind of learning paths and curriculums that they can, they, they can like visibly track their progress to 
to progress and then also understand different dip, uh, our kind of internal ecosystem of like machine learning tool sets uh, in increasing complexity, basically, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I guess for kind of the, the ML infra side of things also is that we, uh, as, as users are, whether in regards to the experience, as they engage with our courses, we can also understand kind of like uh, what are some of the, the common pain points they're using when they're leveraging our tool sets, for example, like when they're building a regression model in an intro to regression course, and then and, and making sure that we can address those pain points in our, in our tools as well. So did this somehow grow out of your platform team? So was the platform team sitting there, all these engineers are not using the tool correctly, or we have to give them documentation and the documentation is just not cutting it? Could you say that like similar companies, it would probably grow out of their ML platform efforts? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so, uh, because I feel like there's always different sets of documentations, right? There's like, um, you know, we internally, uh, we also have like three or four major categories of kind of like documentations for any, every kind of features that we develop, right? So there's always some kind of wiki, there's this kind of a glossary of all the information out there in terms of all the feature sets, uh, all the details on how to use the features. But there's also like kind of like standard flows in terms of like, okay, uh, if I want to just jump in, build a model quickly, or I want to jump in and say, leverage incremental training, uh, how kind of, how do I do that? What is the end-to-end -end flow, right? So I think some of these courses build, will build end-to-end -end collapse to help facilitate those, those things where people can just jump in, understand the general flow. And then if they have specific questions about specific, specific parts, they can leverage kind of, you know, other, other resources like the, the wiki to get more details, right? So, uh, I feel like these kind of uh, framework, I think is pretty adaptable to other companies as well. So. Perfect. So basically, in summary, the idea is like documentation is not enough. You have to really go in there and make sure that people are understanding that this is how it works and we're going to help you along your journey as you are leveling up. And we're not going to expect you to just be able to go in there and figure things out on your own. So it's a little bit of... I don't want to say hand-holding because I don't feel like that's the right word, but it is like more like encouraging. And one thing that comes to my mind right away is, can anybody do this? Or is it for specific, is it for data scientists? Or is is there also like, if I'm in marketing and I think, wow, I would really like to dive into all of this cool machine learning stuff that's happening over there. Is that a possibility? Yeah, definitely. Yes. And that was that was the goal of, of the program was that we wanted to expand our ML market size. And initially before this program, we were looking at our ML market size as data scientists, uh, software engineers, and machine learning engineers. And so when we pitched this program, we essentially said, but there's this whole bigger group outside of that that has, um, there's a lot of use cases for machine learning in those groups and marketing, finance, operations, all of those, but they don't have either the um, experience with uh, machine learning or understand how to use our platform. But if we can teach them that, then they can basically apply this to all of theirs. And so uh, now basically we have onboarded a lot of those groups that are able to use it when those groups would have never been touched before. I love that. And I mean, the thing that comes to my mind right away is like, this has got to be gold for the platform team because you have direct contact with the people that are your users and your customers. And so how have you seen that relationship? Has the platform team been able to come to you and say thank you for this because they now have a direct line of communication or the communication flows more? Have you seen any evolution in that regard? 
Absolutely. I think um, the, yeah, one of the goals that we want to kind of achieve was to make this kind of an incubation kind of environment where people can just kind, uh, kind of come in, test out some of the features, gather user feedback in real time, right? So actually a number of our uh, services that we built uh, over the over the years uh, are are actually like you know as, as a result of like getting it like user feedback right. For, so for example, like uh, one service I mentioned just now was like our AutoTune service, which is uh, that leverage like basic basic optimizations uh, to kind of like help user automatically tune their hyperparameters architectures. That has obviously evolved over time, and then basically we have organized a sequence of different kind of uh, courses to kind of gather feedback as we move along, and. It's actually very interesting as well, right? Because there's a couple of things that we can address with this environment. One is basically we, uh, I think one, one thing we mentioned within the blog was like repro reproducibility, right? Which is like being able to exactly reproduce the environment each time uh, and, then, and then run whatever like cor course contents that actually uh, helped reduce kind of the, the friction for users that, that to, to easily go from say, okay, let me t test out the, the latest features that the, the, the infra team kind of provides. And then now that I'm actually familiar with this feature, I can just make minor tweaks and then take that to, to a production environment very easily. That is also understandable by, by the infra team, right? So, so that, 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 has been, that has been super helpful. And actually, whenever they are not able to do that, we're also basically tracking that to see exactly where, at which point do they start to fall off. Those then, I think the infra team got it like very like strong feedback that these are kind of the pain points oh, wow. that we should address in the end-to-end the -end user experience, um, and then and then go from there, right? So yeah. So that sounds when you mentioned the reproducibility, like you baked in some of these best practices that ML tools are often missing. Like you can do a lot of decisions on your own, but a lot of them are not very opinionated about a very good project setup or. Um, there's just generally very few agreed upon uh, best practices that everybody follows. So could you speak if you baked some of these into the platform and made sure these are known by doing these courses? Is this something that I was suspecting when reading um, about the reproducibility efforts? So as, as you know, like uh, there's, I think there's different kind of environments that could, could complicate different things, right? One is basically the, the dev environments that's specific to a company, right? So that's that's one. Uh, the other thing is probably just reproducibility of kind of ML, uh, like, you know, models in general. So, and I think we're trying to kind of like tackle both of these. And, and basically the program is, 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 is built on top of kind of the, the infra, that, that, the machine learning infra that we have. So that's those, there's some kind of synergy between there. So in terms of like addressing the first part, I think making sure that uh, everything that we build in terms of course content as well as in terms of infra, everything is containerized, everything, uh, there's different flavors of say Docker containers that has different requirements that's tailored for different types of audiences, super important. For example, like, you know, there's some, some like PyTorch specific like users, like will have a specific oh, Docker nice. flavor um, and or, you know, TensorFlow users or some, some someone else, right? Or, or someone that's developing kind of time series forecasting models, they will have a set of libraries that they will always kind of leverage and making sure that these dockers are constantly updated and then we leverage them within the course, then they can basically leverage the exact same kind of image with the same environment within a production environment. So that is one, right? The other thing uh, is about ML reproducibility, which is uh, we need to make sure that there's different, different randomness of stochasticity being introduced in the different, in either in features, data, or in your, even in your machine learning algorithms. How do we make sure that uh, we are keeping track of that, right? So uh, by being building by building on top of our kind of like 
first like our templating system, our feature store that basically snapshot every single instance of your your models, your, sorry, your features, and then making sure that all the model hyperparameters architectures are, are properly like uh, uh, check uh, check pointed and version and template and then saved. That easily allow us to kind of like say, uh, take this learning course, you build something here. We have the exact same environment in terms of li library dependencies, but we're also able to kind of like easily reproduce your data snapshot that you use during the course in a production environment. That has been super helpful uh, because both the the audience as well as the instructors can easily jump in, help you debug, or like you know, uh, or basically just like take that and then continue to leverage it within some other production environments. Yeah, I was just going to add that like in the courses that we're running, it's very consistent to what you see in production. So there's no surprises once you finish the course that you get you don't understand what's happening later on. Like you, uh -huh. if there's confusion and you have questions, we are there to help. But um, it's consistent with what you've seen in the course, and a lot of the courses actually have you build everything. Um, right there with instructors or in the self-serve ones. And so you can kind of get a feel for the whole process before you do it itself. And one other thing I wanted to mention um, earlier on about our documentation versus our training is we kind of segmented our options into three areas, either live, semi-guided, or self-serve. We don't want to be hand-holding all the way because that's just not scalable for us to do that for everyone at the company. But we um, segmented out the live courses, which would be more of the hands-on ones, for those complex theory uh, applications where we're trying to teach like very complex topics and get that initial, put in the initial investment with the time there. Then everything else is more automated and more scalable um, and more maintainable with either semi-guided or self-serve. So we might put in the initial investment with a few of those live courses, but then the rest of the curriculum can then be taken online often. Instantly, my question, I think, and probably what a lot of people are wondering is, A, how long has have you been doing this and how long has it taken you to create such a mature learning system inside of the company? And then like how many people are just dedicated to this? Yeah, it's actually, it hasn't been going on that long. I think there was actually oh. a previous version or try of this back in 2019 that we ran. Um, it was a very small, smaller uh subset of what we have now. Then we uh, restarted this or proposed this idea and, launched and started building it in 2020. We did the proposal kind of like late 2020, started building in 2021, um, went through about a thousand uh, attendees in 2021. And then in 2022, uh, we increased that by about 50%. And so now we're going into 2023 strong as well. So overall, it's only been going on for about two, two and a half years. So not that long, but we've iterated a lot throughout that. As far as the amount of people working on it, one of the things that I'm at least really proud of for this program is that it was all volunteer built and volunteer based. So we didn't actually have any engineers full time who were working on building this out. We had wow. um, a product or uh, a PM, um, uh, myself, and then there was another um, person, I want to give a shout out to her, Brooke Carter, who helped build out this program in 2021 as well. Um, so we had kind of one person leading it, but all of the engineers who were the instructors, facilitators, um, helped build the content. M Michael is, of course, one of them. Those were all volunteer-based. So we had to essentially pitch this to leadership and encourage managers to basically allow their employees to spend the time on it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Actually, uh, so just to add a few kind of like additional like colors to it, it's uh, it, it's actually not all like uh, you know like. Roses and gold, right? I think like in the beginning. Um, <laughs> All right, let's hear it. So in the beginning, we started very, very <laughs> small. Uh, it's a very, uh, 
The very first course I think we built was like, I think either like some kind of reinforcement learning uh, course or something like very specialized, right? We were basically just like, oh, within like a Uber AI, we want to explore certain new topics. I wanted to kind of see um, what are some of the user engagement in this topic. And actually, we're, there's like latest techniques in, in AI and machine learning, but we're not sure like what, what company use cases are out there that, that are applicable. So it's actually, we use that as a, as a channel to kind of like, kind of like, kind of gather potential users of this feature, right? So, but I think what, what we quickly, quickly realized, uh, and because we're also like primarily volunteer based, is that uh, we need to make sure that it's super easy right, for on both sides, for, for the students to attend things and for instructors to maintain things. And actually for, for a period of time, and I think I'm sure Melissa remembers this, where, you know, it's just every every single time uh, where we have a new course or when we need to update a course content, basically because, uh, basically like, because things are not snapshot or reproducible, basically new instructors have to just like rebuild whole, whole contents, right? So that causes a lot of frustration, a lot of friction. Uh, and then, yeah. uh, so yeah. basically that kind of, push us towards thinking like, how do we build this in, in, a, in a framework-like kind of thing? How do we guide our future courses such that, well, we don't continue, like we continue to kind of like gather more more momentum from, from volunteers. They can always jump, like sometimes like, for example, this quarter, um, these instructors are busy, uh, but they're, they're, they're free the next quarter, they want to continue to contribute. And we want to make sure that experience when they jump out of this and jump back in, that experience should be seamless, right? Because um, they, they should be able to exactly resume where they were left from and then, or at least understand what is the delta that has been built since then. So so that actually motivated a lot of our thinking. Uh, and yeah, yeah. And, and another kind of thing I just want to quickly mention was like, um, in, in, a big, in, in the very beginning, just because of the course content being super, super specialized, um, like a lot of people really attended. And then they, I think they, I think a lot, we got a lot of positive feedback, but then we saw a lot of like friction of like say, Oh, I like people really love it. A lot of people like actually use it, even like prototype with it after that. But why don't we see that translation into production use cases for for and, at the beginning, right? So, and that again motivated kind of the things that we just talked about, like how do we make make things reproducible, but also how do we kind of make things accountable, right? Which is like uh, how do we basically first identify the pain points of what blocked them from going from say an interesting prototype POC into production, and then actually like actively uh, give that feedback of saying that, oh, we are constantly addressing this part uh, after this, like you, you're able, you, you should be able to unblock and then make sure that's transition to be as seamless as possible again. So this sounds like a really good metric also how to evaluate courses, not just that people like the course, like you said, like if, yeah. if they love the course, it's very academic, let's say, or it's very interesting, but nothing ever moves to production. Probably you might like it, the colleagues might like it, but Uber might say, is this a good use of our resources? So is there something like that where you say we are looking at product adoption and we're looking at how much is moving into production as a sort of to evaluate the effectiveness of such courses? Yeah, definitely. That's something we wanted to track from the beginning. And one of the problems or things we had to overcome is we actually didn't have all the tooling to, to even measure that. So that's something Michael and I were working on for a while is trying to figure out, well, we need to be able, it needs to be measurable from the start. We need to know our baseline where we're starting from. Um, so we spent a long time trying to build out the tooling, kind of monitoring who is creating these notebooks, who, like, how, how fast are things moving to production? Like, once someone completes a course, how many weeks or months from then do they have a model in production? We wanted to know all those things. So that's that's something we're, we're to be honest, we are still working on um, refining and getting getting better at. 
Um, but that is one of the main things that drives the like drives the uh, success metrics for the program is seeing like the end result. We also look at participant satisfaction. Um, as Michael mentioned, instructor satisfaction, it goes on both sides. Since everyone is volunteers, we have to make sure it's a good experience for the instructors or else we can't retain them. Um, but we've, we've luckily been able to retain a lot of them. Um, and then the last thing is is what I mentioned before, the market size. And that's, that's what we've tracked this year. We've seen that the recent courses we've run have a much more diverse group because we've essentially saturated the uh, existing machine learning engineer, software engineer, data science group. And now we're seeing a much more diverse group from like marketing orgs, finance orgs, because these people are coming in that uh, we've already, we're expanding to the group we haven't touched yet. So I think like over time, as uh, as we start to introduce more logging and more like uh, things like within, with, even within the platform, right? To, to say, to make sure that we know exactly how many users are running this, how many do, and like, but the, but but very quickly, I think the, the the question becomes, okay, I think yeah, somehow we see that people think the, these courses like uh, after after a while we see like oh yeah, there's more upticks in terms of these features right being used or or whatever. But then that comes back to the classic attribution problem, which is like how do we know is because of this course that these features actually has gone up, or is it not like oh, maybe someone yeah. took the course and there's like a word of mouth or something like that. So that has also been like kind of a, I wouldn't say struggle, but it's an interesting problem to solve, right? So I think um, we definitely tried different things out. I think like, for example, like uh, we we use like special like branches or like uh, like specific like Docker images that has different utility tools that's like specialized for the course, right? So meaning that to leverage some of these tools, like you have to like leverage the course Docker uh, and, and like and with the, even within your your development environments, right? By used by to some doing some of these t- tricks, like we're able to actually like realize that oh, people are using these new features by you by leveraging the Docker that we built for the course, and that was actually a way for us to actually like do some attribution there. So um, yeah, it's yeah, in a way it's like you watermark it. So we have to try. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that's super cool. exactly. Michael's not giving himself enough credit. He's the one who built a lot of this to make <laughs> sure that it's it's trackable. Yeah, I was even just thinking about how when like someone stops in the middle and you have these moments of, oh, I don't know where someone got to and how far along in the journey that they got to or what parts they stopped at. Even that is probably hard to figure out and see like, oh, maybe they they watch the videos, but does it actually get translated to anything is, uh, (laughs) yeah, it's a tough nut to crack, I would say. So it's cool to see that you've you've tried to figure it out in these creative ways, like basically putting a stamp on it or, or a watermark on the Docker images. That's super cool. Oh yeah. So I think it's, it's, I think it's, we took some inspiration from like, say, I think there's other outside external courses, like for example, like Fast AI or, or some of the things where they also have like, they're, they're also targeting, for example, like a, a myriad of different users, like ones who like pick up machine learning or deep learning, right? Then it, uh, I remember like back in 2017 or 18, everyone was taking the, the fast AI course just like they can like kind of get familiar with deep learning. This is Skylar. I lead machine learning at Health Rhythms. If you want to stay on top of everything happening in MLOps, subscribe to this podcast now. 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 So and then FastAI provides a lot of like different like specialized tooling for, uh, for example, like okay, given this set of like image data, like how do I quickly build like kind of CNN to like so 
Uh, and basically, a lot of people just start incorporating kind of like that as a, as a dependency within their environments so that they can use these tool sets, right? So we kind of took inspiration from there and then and kind of borrowed it for our, our, our tracking tricks, kind of. So I'm also wondering, you know, that the typical problem with internal tools is that people have to use them. So you cannot opt out of using an internal tool. So in many companies, without them wanting to say it, the internal tools just don't have the pressure to compete. So I wonder, uh, what are the most interesting insights that you had about the product? Are, so, are you also using that to source product development ideas? Or is it really mostly about enabling them to use the product, the platform, the ML platform as is? Or are you actually using that to generate uh, user feedback on how to make it better? Definitely a two-way street, right? So other than just empowering users to use our internal tool sets and ecosystem, getting, getting them familiar it's also for the infra team to kind of get some feedback on what are some of the things that's exciting to users, right? I think that's very clear when it comes up from the questions where, for example, like uh, within some environment, like because like there will be some courses where they come in and then they'll set up the environments, like for, for example, like internally, how do I use the the model development application framework that we have, right? But one some of the exercises will just be like, okay, uh, take a use case, right? Like, uh, and then just build a model out of it, right? Then see whether we can we can we can train this model, and a lot of times actually we see people include add in like different dependencies, like especially like open source dependencies, like oh like oh I'm, I want to try out the, the latest Hugging Face Transformers, this version, that version. I want to see, and they'll ask questions like oh how do I leverage the pre-trained model that I already trained, and then can I package that into production? That actually uh, has actually been like a feedback loop in terms of oh these are some of the things that are exciting. So uh, you mean if like users don't verbally kind of like request for it in the next quarter, we were at least like keeping that within the roadmap or at least use that as a guidance for the, our long-term strategy. And actually, um, I would say that uh, coming back to your, one of your questions, sub-questions just now, you know, was uh, kind of open source kind of like, uh, sorry, internal tools having not enough kind of pressure. I think like seeing some of these feedback and and over time we realized that, in like, this is probably back in 2018 or 19, where we realized that um, there, there is definitely a, a, a more need to to make his, make sure that whatever we build internally is flexible, is adaptable, and is also extensible. And making sure that the friction to to leverage a lot of these open source source tooling, because as we know, like there's a lot of benefits to like leveraging out leveraging like open source like kind of packages, should be should be as frictionless as possible, right? So meaning that uh, that's why I think how, uh, the the internal ML platform like. The, the evolution story is actually quite, it almost mirrors this, the, the evolution of this education program, which is, you know, it, we started out with like, you know, some kind of like closed system, monolithic. We have a, a bunch of like set dependencies on doing things like if you want to do training, uh, training of deep learning models, training uh, time series model, or training you know, regular tree models. These are specific workflows we can run. These are specific dependencies that you, we can support. But over time we realized that uh, there's just like a mismatch in terms of like what people are looking for and then what and, and what we're optimizing for, like say the larger scale. But people also want to look for flexibility. Uh, so so that motivated us to kind of think about all these in terms of like how do I open things up for people while still make, making sure that it's relatively contained within a production environment, right? So that kind of nudges towards the uh, move towards uh, every, making everything containerized, uh, everything, everything composable so users can set any kind of dependencies, compose any kind of machine learning workflows they want, and but still being able to kind of serve the end product of their workflow, right? So is is one of the modules or courses that you have, 
how to talk to the DevOps security guys if you have a open source product and you want it to be used. <laughs> no, that uh, no, we haven't had that, but I think that's a I imagine there is a process, yeah, that you need to figure out, like, oh, how do we actually incorporate this in and get like approval? Because you you can't just throw anything in there, right? But uh, I wanted to move on also and just talk about like the impact that you've seen this have, and if there's any cool stats and. And stuff that is like, I don't want to, you can like totally pat yourselves on the back right here and talk about what you've seen happen over the evolution of this and, and how it has helped the machine learning efforts at Uber. Like what kind of stuff? I know there's been some like really good uh, numbers that you have and then also really interesting things that have come out of it. So I'd love to hear all about that. Sure, I can I can take a stab at this, and I'll let Michael add in some things as well. So we do have we have a lot to show for the um, training program in itself, but also want to share a little bit about wh what numbers we're operating at for machine learning at Uber. So we have um, millions of ML predictions are made every second. Um, something we mentioned in the blog as well, but that translates to thousands of models trained per week, um, thousands of models deployed per month. So all of that together was essentially. Uh, the ML training program is growing those numbers um, in addition to the other work being done at the company. For the program itself, we started off, we first kicked it off with about 10 live courses, 27 instructors, and about 13 self-serve code labs. Um, we've since grown that even more. And one of the biggest growing factors is every year we have an internal conference at Uber called Uber uh, ML or Uber Machine Learning Conference. It's basically where we are able to sh showcase machine learning projects from people all across the company. They don't have to be in the machine learning org at all, and often they often they are not. As part of that conference, we ran this curriculum as a whole day event where it's like a boot camp day event. Everyone can take the courses like top to bottom, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced. We had like a, a streamed line set up for you. It's kind of a curriculum set up. And what we saw from that is one, um, lots of interest in the course and, and taking additional uh, courses after the end of the day, but two, a huge influx of instructors. Everyone who took the course ended up wanting to teach for the course, ended up wanting to create their oh, own nice. like version. Like they would, you know, be like, well, I have this very specific feature I built. I want to teach everyone about it. So we're trying oh, to cool. like go through all of those requests, everything. Um, but it's grown quite a bit. And so using kind of leveraging our internal conference for this program has helped us grow a lot. Um, I'll turn it over to Michael. I'm sure he has more to say that as well. One major thing I want to mention is uh, obviously a highlight of all these is actually being on this program with you guys. So this is this has been a highlight for this. But <laughs> the uh, the other thing is I think um, yeah I think the, in terms of uh, there are definitely things we are also doing to measure the efficacy of the framework itself, which is like for example like there's different principles that we really care about in terms of like oh how modular the course is by by making it modular we can make it like extensible and like you know, really applicable right so. Uh, so, for example, like we start measuring, like say, uh, how frequent you, instructors are able to say quickly tailor us like for a specific audience, right? So, for example, like we we tried like these like micro courses that format where uh, basically because every single uh, piece that we have is very modular, they can just like plug and play different parts that's like uh, that's meaningful for this specific audience at this specific time, and then just create some kind of like one or two day course for them, right? So uh, we also kind of measure like how frequent we're able to do this. And 
just as of last year, I think uh, we were able to kind of at least like spin up two or three programs pretty quickly. Uh, whereas in a, in a couple of years ago, it probably take uh, like a six month effort to develop one course, right? So, so those are I, also some like other signals that we're measuring. It's time to production. <laughs> it goes oh, yeah. back to that. Right, it's also time to production. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's something that I think about too when it comes to the inspiration that you've probably given other companies and. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening right now and they would love it if at their company, they were able to do something like this. Where do you recommend someone gets started? I know, Melissa, you mentioned at the beginning that you really had to champion for this with executives and try and get engineering time to be able to have them or whoever, like whatever teacher's time to have them be a part of it. What would you recommend for somebody that says, I want this at my company? How do they even get started with something like this? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say um, my best recommendation would be to find a leader who is passionate about machine learning and essentially create a pitch for them and have them vouch for it. And that's that's essentially what we did is we had the leader of our machine learning organization um, her name was Smitha, um, and we had another leader in our technical program management organization, um, specifically his name is Kamran, and he, both of them together were both kind of champions and, and supported the, supported and saw the value behind that th this type of program. So in trying to create it, I was essentially making that pitch to them, and then they helped support us and back us up and make that pitch kind of further up the line um, where we could get the support we needed. Still, that being said, um, had to bring on a lot of volunteers and it was all volunteer based and it still is all volunteer based. So um, it's not it doesn't mean that you get a whole team to work on it specifically. But I, I yeah. guess my recommendation would be to kind of find an advocate who has a lot of influence at the company who sees the value of machine learning. If you have such a platform team or if you want to generally increase the adoption of ML in the company, in which order would you put such a program that you did? Would you say this is mostly for mature companies to bring up adoption after it's already been in progress for a while? Or is that something you would rather do in the beginning so that people even get to the adoption? I could see it going either way, to be honest, but it is probably easiest to do it more earlier on just because you almost have to pay the, play the catch up later on. Um, but I wouldn't let that discourage. Like if there's people listening that that maybe their companies were mature and, and they feel like they would have to do so much backtrack, I wouldn't let that be a discouraging aspect. Um, but probably earlier on would be better, especially if, uh, if a company already has a machine learning organization or a machine learning platform or a team that supports machine learning, then that's a much better base to start at or to have uh, to get started with. Do you think that something like this is still worth it if a company does not have their own homegrown or home-built platform? Honestly, I maybe in some cases, no, if I'm being completely honest, because there's so many good resources externally that I think uh, if you don't have enough support internally, then it's going to be too much of a heavy lift uh, to try and build this all from scratch, then no, I would say you can, there's plenty, plenty, plenty of external resources um, and we've even in building this pulled a lot externally already. So I would say if, if there isn't already a homegrown process to start with or some basis, um, it may be better just to outsource externally. But there is one thing that I think is fascinating with this that is around the idea of someone who creates a feature and then they can create a module or a course on how to use that feature or what that feature is, which I 
think it doesn't matter what your if you have your own platform or if you're using someone else's platform, that kind of thing is still super useful and it is very company specific. So that yep. education and really having that education in your blood in in the DNA of the company is is super cool to think about. Yeah, I think just adding on to some of the points here is um, I, I think the ultimate goal here is to reduce the friction for someone who have external knowledges uh, and map it into the internal ecosystem, right? In terms of feature sets and tool sets. Uh, and we want to promote some kind of like distributed innovation kind of like cycle where everyone can be leveraging the same thing, building on top of it, and over time provide some kind of feedback so that we can build more things that people can kind of build on top of that. So I think um, I think I, I definitely agree. Like, you know, there's definitely like a, it's definitely like a, there's like some kind of timing thing that we have to think about in terms of whether there's enough complexity that warrants the additional overhead of having these program. But I think like that just means that I, I would say like the program should exist in some form, just like how documentation should exist in some form. Uh, and yeah. and it, the, the program can scale uh, as the complexity of the, of the organization grows as well, right? So and in the beginning, it could be so as simple as like, okay, I'm leveraging it mostly third party, but still, I think people have like a set of like models they develop, a set of best practices that they say, oh, I have to transfer this this part of my data into a different cluster within AWS, and I, how do I kind of do that? That all start with some kind of documentation, best practices, but over time, as it becomes more complicated, you'll be building additional feature that's maintained on a, a cloud, cloud provider. Then we start to kind of see, you know, so, as some some something that we have here, right? Which is like infra team that requires feedback and requires like fast iteration of like their features. And there's like a, a lot of practitioners using these features and kind of kind of formulate that, that flywheel back again. So, yep. Hundred hundred percent agree with Michael. This this blog post, the goal of it was kind of to show the different components that could be like plug and play and picked out for different companies. It's it's not a one size fits all. So it's definitely customizable. So I, what I found very valuable in your blog post, and I think many senior engineers should read that, speaking about um, the architectural design, is how you spun this up, that the organically homegrown documentation here and there, and merge that into a product that is run with engineering principles. So I'm also having fun applying, for example, retros at home, you know, taking these engineering practices <laughs> and applying them in different areas of your um, for example, blameless retros are amazing in your friend group. If you ever want to try that, I highly recommend that. <laughs> Take some getting used to for the non-engineering people. It's like, what do you mean? We're now saying what happened and it's no one's fault. These engineering principles are highly valuable for other disciplines, as are other disciplines if we can take them into our domain. So could you speak a little bit how you run this product with this engineering mindset, which is also very interesting to me because sometimes these like projects, you know, everybody talks about them, they become big or useless or whatever over time and no one is actually looking at fundamentals or observing them and you avoided that by having this very principled approach, which I think you should totally spin out and have a different talk at a product conference. <laughs> so you spread the joy, but maybe can you walk us through what are the main components of such an engineering approach to product? Sure. So um, we broke it down into kind of seven core engineering principles. Michael touched on some of these already, but they um, are specifically reproducibility, extensibility, modularity, measurability, accountability, scalability, and discoverability. Um, so Michael talked a lot about, about the reproducibility and scalability. 
um, and even the modularity as well. Um, I'll, I'll touch a little bit on the accountability and discoverability. Uh, we wanted to make sure that this was discoverable to everyone at the at the company. That's done using the engineering principles of a central repo, um, central learning paths. Um, the accountability is is measured by kind of internal structures for engagement. Um, we also do kind of version control from each version of this uh, program, and that's another one of those engineering principles. Um, uh, minimizing friction. Those are some things that come to mind. Um, Michael, I think that. I think the general mindset we have while we're trying to formulate the the the, the different principles is, what are what are some of the problems that uh, we want to solve, right? And then basically, what are some of the principles that we think is applicable, right? So, um, and as we walk through kind of the journey just now, I think uh, we did mention that there's a number of problems we're trying to solve, right? First, making sure that we can at least measure, right? So measure. Uh, having a full visibility, observability onto like what is the state of, of, of the world that we want to solve. I think that is always probably a first, a, a good first thing to do in any problems that you're trying to solve because if not, you're just doing taking actions without actually really knowing whether that those actions are meaningful or moving you towards some kind of goalposts, right? And once you can um, measure it, then you, then you realize that, you know, there's actually a lot of things that could be better, right? One, as we start to measure, we realize that, okay, there's like a friction point where where people always like you know get to this point and it does and it doesn't go further, right? Then yeah. then we realize that okay, um, okay, how do we kind of like make thing make make sure that things are reproducible so that you know we can easily you know recreate this this environment, help them debug, and then move forward from there. And then then we, and then later on we realize that oh uh, no, there's also like there's different sides to this framework as well, right? Which is like there's audience and there's instructors. We 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 really want to make sure that uh, instructors can easily kind of like. Uh, built on top of things that that is always incremental. Then we realize that again, reproducibility and modularity becomes important. So, so yeah. So a lot of these principles are kind of like built over time and fueled by kind of the the problem that we're solving at hand. So, and I feel like that is probably a similar journey for almost any products. So you know what I love is that the course on how to use Uber's data and machine learning platform has probably better principles and fundamentals than most people's machine learning platforms themselves, which is incredible to me. <laughs> we'll we'll so, take that as a compliment. So I, I want to keep moving and think about the future because I imagine you're continuing to evolve this whole course. Where do you see it going next? Are you going to... And A, does this already happen with the data platform also? Or is it only the machine learning? Uh, and B, what's next? Yeah, so I think right now our target audience is still primarily kind of like machine learning users, which obviously like they have to touch up upon some of the, the 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 underlying data stuff as well, right? So, but I think um, there's always different levels of abstractions that we were trying to think about, like how much does the ML infra want to expose or some of that like hairy stuff like to to the user, right? So. Uh, so I would say like at the moment, we're still very much like targeting the, the course content to ML users. So a lot of the data level abstractions are probably abstracted away. For example, like, oh, uh, you need to do feature engineering. Like we have already specific kind of workflows that helps you like say, define a, a couple of DSLs or like some kind of like you know, general syntax that we can just help you register these, uh, generate these features and register them into a feature store. So at least all the management of the, all those things are abstracted away from you. But that being said, over time, like there, I could I could totally imagine like our audience could grow from you know just 
machine learning centric to like say, okay, I want to do some EDA analysis or some kind of data analysis on just like on, on a data set, right? So there, I, we don't see any kind of like, uh, on, on uh, the large framework that we have uh, we have developed here is definitely extensible to say, okay, let's use it to say, build, to to expose, to to or evangelize the, the tools that Uber has for just like doing data stuff, right? So uh, we, we could totally see that happening at some point. I think I'd, I'd just add kind of some of the next steps we have in mind is we've put a lot of time into kind of getting to where we're at now, where we're a little bit in the maintenance phase right now, where we can relax a little bit, watch kind of the what the impact was, and it takes some time to figure out where we want to go next. Um, one of the things that I see in the future is by integrating this uh, curriculum into our yearly conference, um, that was a huge hit, and we were able to basically have hundreds of people uh, go through the program during a really short period. So I think that it will be a permanent part of that conference for the years going forward. So that's definitely something I see in the future. And then also just expanding the courses as our platform grows. Um, our platform is growing very quickly. We have a lot of new services and features available that are happening uh, every day. And we want to make sure all of those can be used by everyone too. So I definitely see a future in growing a lot of new courses for that. That's super cool. The reason that I was particularly interested in this is because I feel like there hasn't been clear ways, especially when it comes to machine learning, for companies to spread knowledge and just how they do things, that tribal knowledge that potentially gets caught up in one department or in one team, you don't really have like a standard way of of letting that get out and letting others see like, wow, there's something really cool that's happening over here. Or, oh, we've seen that this really works. Maybe other teams should try it. So it feels like this is a really great way of making sure that doesn't happen and you're able to upskill everyone in the company at the same time. Yeah, I, I think that's 100%. super important because ultimately I think um, the, like in, in a lot of these scenarios, like a lot, there's a lot of kind of machine learning teams building different things, right? But they're, but they're also building on, I think a, a quick way of how the ML community has progressed so, more, so much in my opinion was like, there's always a set of like standard benchmarks, like a, stand, a set of uh, standard data sets that we are constantly trying to build, like uh, trying to beat, right? So, um, and I think we should, tr we're trying to reinforce that within Uber as well, which is like, these are our common data sets that we know are probably the, the, the biggest problem that we need to solve. So that, but uh, but surfacing like what is the state of the arts uh, so that people know this is the, the set of benchmark that we should continue to beat, that's super important. So I feel like that should be done easily on the infra level, on the platform level, so people can discover these things. But then even if even if we make it discoverable, uh, there's limited time for, for from the user perspective, having these programs to kind of further re evangelize that these things are discoverable and these are the best practices to, to discover them um, is, is, is super important. I think it's very complimentary. I was going to ask one more before we finish, and it really has to do with the... Uh... The uh, last question I have is there's been a ton of hype around generative AI and just chat GPT and all that. Do you already have a module about that and how you can incorporate it into the Uber platform, the machine learning platform at Uber? That would be my, if I could choose, that would be the first thing that I would want to make a module on. Um, I would definitely. So no, we don't have one yet, but um, I wouldn't say it's impossible in the future. I would love to incorporate it somehow. Yeah, that's definitely a lot of chatter about ChatGPT, yeah. so. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> nope. go. Yeah. That's no, so that, cool. That was good, Michael. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so one question would be, if I had to nail you down, uh, do you have one or two numbers for us that really measure the success, the, the adoption or the, uh, the number of engineers who are now faster? Or is that something, if you had to drill it down, how you quantify uh, uh, the success of such a program? Yeah, if, if we had to kind of drill it down, I would say that in the last two years, our curriculum has grown 3x, um, which is a really big increase in, in a short period of time. And our instructor base has grown um, 2x. So we are very quickly expanding um, and we are seeing definitely an upward trend or a very positive trend of our growth. So we expect it to be uh, increasing even more this year and we don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Speaking from other engineers, the fact that you're getting the instructors seems to me for me the sort of stamp of approval that this is needed and useful because people like sitting at courses and listening to stuff, but if you get voluntary instructors, this is useful. Uh, yeah, exactly. it just shows how powerful it is really. At the end of the day, it's if someone's willing to volunteer their time to teach others about this. And as you mentioned before, Melissa, how people are excited to do this because they want to show certain features that they've created and how to empower others with these cool things that they have. That is just amazing. I, I really like that. So Melissa and Michael, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about it. Thank you for writing these blog posts. It's so cool. And I really am like blown away a, by the transparency, B, by the sophistication and the maturity that you all have uh, been able to show with how to bring machine learning education to the workplace. I feel honored in a way that you've been able to talk to us about it and share these gems with the rest of us. Hopefully, it becomes more of a standard practice within different companies that have their own platform set up and... Uh, and then we can have less of these snowflakes or less of these little isolated groups doing things on their own. Absolutely, yep. 100%. And Absolutely. thank you for having us as well. It's an honor to be a part of the, a part of the podcast. I'm Emmanuel Mason, machine learning engineer at Stripe and author of Building Machine Learning Powered Applications. And if you don't want your machine learning models to explode, well, you should subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>